0: The rest of you can turn to Mark chapter 14. It's Mark chapter 14. Today, as you may have noticed, I have the worship team up here to help me uh, do something a little different this time. We're reading through the passage beforehand. It's a lot of verses, uh, and they're going to help me. So Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 1539. My name is Jonathan Roenbeck, I'm the associate pastor here. I forgot to introduce myself. All right, let's read. 14, verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire.
1: Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows.
2: And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him, He began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them, but again he denied it. And a little after a while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke them, a curse on himself, and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept.
1: And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him away to crucify him.
2: And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him.
0: And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Thank you for your help. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we get to come before you and hear from your word. May your Holy Spirit be very present right here. We beg you right now. In Jesus' name, we make this request. Amen. Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever been made to feel like an outcast? Has anyone ever treated you as if they're on the inside and you're on the outside? Have you ever been bullied? Have you ever been treated less than? It seems as if, in the news today, we hear about stories of bullying all the time. I remember it was just a couple months ago, uh, I read the story of a woman who was bullied in her teens, and on her class reunion page, she wrote a story, a a poem, describing her pain. And her classmates felt so bad, they put together a scholarship fund to fly her out to the reunion. About two or three weeks ago, it was the story of the Miami Dolphins, the football, the NFL. And one of the football players, uh, a guy who's six and a half feet tall, weighs several hundred pounds, not a guy you would think gets bullied, walked away from the NFL because he felt like he was being bullied. According to bullyingstatistics.org, half of all teens will be bullied online, And almost the entire other half are the ones bullying them. Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever been made to feel like an outcast? Christ Jesus, our Savior, was rejected. He came to save us from our sins. He came to heal us from everything we have done wrong. He came to pay the cost we could not afford. He came to redeem us, to pay our ransom, to pay our debt, and we rejected him. We treated Jesus as an outcast. Christ Jesus, the Redeemer, was rejected. But we know we would never reject Jesus. We're a church. We come, and we sing the songs, and we give our offering, and we participate. But according to our text, the religious are actually the first to reject Jesus. The religious reject Him, the religious reject Jesus. The religious leaders rejected Jesus over and over again throughout the book of Mark. All the way from our beginning sermons on this series in the early chapters, they reject him. And all the way through chapter 14, when we're in right now, they reject him. In fact, they hate him so much that they actually come together, they unite. It says in verse 53 that the high priest and the chief priest and the elders and the scribes, they came together. And they, have, they had a plan to crucify Jesus, to kill Jesus, and they used one of his own disciples to betray him. And, uh, and they begin to bring false witnesses. They arrest Jesus and begin to bring false witnesses against him, saying all these things he's done wrong. And they say that he wanted to destroy the temple. They say that Jesus said this in verse 58 We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. They're, they're saying that Jesus wants to destroy our temple. Now, the temple is not just like any church building. It is the economic, social, political, and religious center of the nation of Israel, of the Jews. So for them to say that Jesus wants to destroy our temple is like saying Jesus wants to destroy our religion. And it's either our religion or Jesus, and Jesus has to go. The religious reject him. They turn him away. Maybe you can see yourself and the religious leaders in this story. They were highly educated. They obeyed the law and they knew their Old Testament Bibles pretty well. They were super religious and they always tried to obey God. They probably never even sped. But these religious people rejected him. They got, something happened in their religion. Religion isn't bad. Christ Jesus revealed himself through religion, through the law. But somewhere along the line, they got so focused on looking at their religion, they couldn't see their Redeemer. They got so focused on on being holy that they couldn't see the one who is holy. They They rejected the Redeemer for... The religion may this never be us. Christ Jesus, the redeemer was rejected by the religious. In fact, the high priest himself, the central figure of their religion, of their faith, he rejects Jesus. 61 through 64. Jesus makes no answer against their charges and the high priest asks him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So they bring all these false charges against him and they can't prove any of them. They're inconsistent, they don't stand up in court. And notice that Jesus gives them the ammunition they need to kill him on his terms. Jesus is the one who provides the information for them to condemn him. He says, I am. Now this, when he says I am, it's an Old Testament reference to the name Yahweh gave Moses in the book of Exodus when the people were coming out of Egypt to identify that Moses was with Yahweh. I am who I am. Jesus is saying, Jesus is claiming to be that same Old Testament Yahweh that they believed in, that they claimed to believe in. He's claiming to be him. But although these people claim to believe, they don't really believe. They reject their Redeemer. And they say, blasphemy. You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him deserving to death. To charge him with blasphemy is to say he, he cursed against God. He he uh, said what was wrong against the name of God, the very name and essence of God. And yet it is they who are blaspheming God, not Jesus, because God is standing right in front of them, and they are so blind they can't see him, and they strike out against him, and they condemn him. Christ Jesus, the Redeemer, was rejected by the religious. Now, it's not hard for religious people to reject Jesus Unitarianism is the belief that Jesus is not the eternal Son of God and that the Holy Spirit is not a person. And when we think of Unitarian churches, we don't really think of churches that like to study their Bibles. It's just not something we tend to think of today. But believe it or not, when this theology was created, it was from people who were good, they were religious, and they liked to study their Bibles. Yet, getting caught up in in their religion, they actually ended up rejecting Jesus. They turned away from him. In the early 1800s, Unitarian theology became so popular uh, in the Boston area that there was only one pastor in one congregational church that was not Unitarian. And between the years of 1825 and 1828, three years 300 churches that were congregational turned Unitarian. 300 churches. This is why it's so important for us to worship Jesus for who he says he is, for who he reveals himself to be, to focus on our Redeemer. Christ Jesus, the Redeemer, was rejected, even by the religious. But maybe we consider ourselves to not be really like that we're more of the disciples we're we're committed we believe in jesus you know we come to church we're we're fully following after jesus but how do the disciples respond to jesus how do they respond when jesus is arrested well the disciples deny him the disciples deny jesus now if we had read the passage right before ours we would see that the disciples desert jesus So if we read the verses before ours, we would see them in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the temple guards come, they arrest Jesus, and they scatter. The disciples flee. And Peter follows at a distance to the courtyard of the high priest. And if we had read even further back, we would hear that Jesus prophesies that Peter will actually deny him, that Peter will turn his back on Jesus three times before the rooster crows twice. So though the text doesn't say for sure, it's possible, it's highly likely that Peter was probably thinking about this. He's saying, no, I'm not going to deny Jesus. I'm not going to turn my back. I'm not going to be like the other disciples. I'm going to follow after Jesus. And so that's what he does. He, he follows to the courtyard of the high priest. Verse 54 says that he followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards warming himself at the fire. Now, we don't know if these are the same guards that were there when they arrested Jesus, but it's the same word in verse 68 of the guards who begin to strike and beat Jesus when Jesus is condemned, the temple guards. So we can imagine the scene that Peter is sitting there warming himself by the fire. He's feeling pretty good. He hasn't denied Jesus yet. Uh, You know, maybe he can hear what's going on inside, and suddenly the temple guards who are sitting with him get up, they go inside the temple, and they begin to beat and strike Jesus. The men that were just sitting next to me. I don't know about you, but I would be intimidated. And then one of the servant girls at the high priest come over, comes over and, and says, Aren't you one of the disciples? Aren't you with that Nazarene? And he denies it. He says, No, no, I'm not with him. I'm not with him. And then she asks him again, I'm pretty sure you're with him. No, no, he denies it a second time. And then a bystander in verse 70 says, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. The disciples deny him. The disciples deny Jesus. Christ Jesus, the Redeemer, was rejected by his own disciples. Peter answers the serving girl in verse 68, I neither know nor understand what you mean. He's denying Jesus in the present and in the past. He's saying not only... I don't know you right now, I don't know this man right now, but I never knew him. Peter is denying the past three years he spent with Christ. He's denying his whole history with Christ. He's denying that he ever confessed him to be the Christ. He's denying everything about him. And if that isn't bad enough, Peter should have been Jesus' witness at the court. He should have been testifying that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, and the other disciples should have been there with him. They should have been positive testimonies for Jesus. But instead, Peter denies him. And when he realizes how he has betrayed his Lord, his friend, he breaks down and he weeps. He weeps and wails. How many times has God called upon us not to just not deny him, but to be his witness? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's. he's place it on our hearts to share, given us the opportunity to be a testimony for him. And we've denied him. We've run in the opposite direction. We've acted like we're not Christians, that we don't believe in Christ. And we've turned away. Well, what the disciples did was evil and rejecting Jesus in general is evil. It's wrong. But God gives us grace there is healing there is restoration there's hope for Peter and there's hope for us at the end of the book of John the gospel of John we actually hear that Peter is restored that Christ Jesus forgives Peter and restores him and Christ Jesus can forgive and restore us for all the times that we have denied him no matter how big or how small but it does take a heart of repentance of asking to be restored and given another opportunity to be a witness on Christ's behalf. Christ Jesus the Redeemer was rejected by his own disciples. The religious reject him and the disciples deny him, but Jesus' rejection does not end there. The Jews and Gentiles judge him. First, the, the Gentiles judge him, chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. First, the Gentiles judge him. The religious leaders take Jesus to be judged by Pontius Pilate. The reason they take him to Pilate is because they don't have the authority to execute him themselves. And so they take him to Pilate. Pilate is a Gentile. He's a non-Jew. And they, they, they put accusations at Jesus. And, and, and Pilate asks Jesus, because he's a ruler, he's interested in this kingship, he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you have said so. But when Pilate brings the false charges against Jesus, Jesus doesn't recognize them. He doesn't answer. He stays silent, like the scripture we read earlier. There's two reasons for this. First, Jesus doesn't recognize their false charges. He doesn't recognize their false authority. They are not of God, so he does not recognize them. And second, he wants to fulfill the scripture that was written 600 years prior that he would be a silent sheep. Isaiah 56.7 says he was oppressed And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And how does Pilate react to this? He is amazed. Verse 5 says, but Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. But at no point does the amazement of Pilate bring him to a point of belief. Instead, he ends up condemning Jesus. He knows that Jesus is innocent, but he condemns him because it's convenient. Maybe there are some of us who have likewise been amazed with who Jesus is. We're amazed at Jesus. We think, wow, he's a wonderful teacher. He does amazing things. He's he's an amazing guy. But life's more convenient without him, and so we too reject him. We'd rather not have to deal with Jesus in our lives. We'd rather come to uh, church if we want to or stay home and watch television. Or maybe just the questions about religion or G- and Jesus are just too hard. Well, Pilate had to decide who Jesus is and we all do. Will you also reject him? First, the Gentiles judge him. Second, the Jews judge him. As was his custom, Pilate offers the Jerusalem crowd a choice. Verses 6 through 9 we're looking at. He offers them a choice. Verse 6 says, Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And so at the festival at the Passover, Pilate would bring criminals before them and say, Well, who would you like released? And he gives Jesus on one hand, Jesus, the innocent king, the prophet, and he gives Barabbas. And Barabbas is a murderer. Barabbas is guilty, he's sinful. And so Pilate thinks he knows who they'll choose, but they end up choosing the wrong guy. They say, crucify Jesus and release Barabbas. Now these Jews who are yelling crucify are the same Jewish crowds that one week prior praised Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And now their demonic cry is, crucify him, crucify him. These are the people that should have believed, and now they reject Jesus. They condemn him. And yet at this tragic moment, we see something beautiful we see Pilate condemn an innocent man in the place of a guilty man. Christ Jesus, the innocent, goes to the cross on Barabbas' behalf. And for many of us, maybe that's not beautiful, but this is the same great and beautiful exchange Christ Jesus offers all of us. He offers to go to the gallows on our behalf, because we're like Barabbas, We're guilty, and we're sinners. And someone must take the punishment, and Jesus is willing to take ours. But he asks us to confess our sins, to put our faith in him, and to follow him. And that's not easy, but it is good. The Jews and the Gentiles, they judge him. So the religious reject him, the disciples deny him, and the Jews and Gentiles judge him, but it does not end there. The kingdom crucifies him, the kingdom crucifies Jesus. The kingdom of man attacks the kingdom of God. Verse 16 says, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. A battalion is between two and 600 soldiers. And they're at the governor's headquarters, so it's it's more likely that it's 600 soldiers. And these 600 soldiers come out and they begin to brutalize Jesus, to beat him and strike him. And then they take him away to be crucified. They they put a cloak on him and they say, Hail King of the Jews. They mock him and then they take him away. They take him to Golgotha, the place of the skull, but Jesus has lost so much blood and he's so beaten beaten down and hurt that he can't carry his own cross. And this is where he needs the disciples most. He needs the disciples to carry his cross for him, but they are nowhere to be found. And so Simon of Cyrene, a stranger, carries the cross for Jesus. And they go up to Golgotha. And before Jesus is crucified, they offer him wine mixed with myrrh. Now, if you remember, the the three wise men, the magi, we don't know if there are three, the wise men offered Jesus, uh, they they gave Jesus as a, a gift when he was a child, myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So there it was given as a royal gift, but now the soldiers are giving him myrrh mixed with wine as a strong drink meant to, uh, to numb some of the pain. And Matthew, the book of Matthew and Mark, say that Jesus turned it down. He didn't want it. John does tell us that, that Jesus drank uh, wine vinegar on the cross, but that's different. That's not actually wine, that's vinegar. And the reason for this is that Jesus said that he would no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until his kingdom comes. See, Jesus already has his eyes set on the kingdom right here. He has his eyes set on redeeming, on healing the lost, on paying their punishment. He won't even ease his own pain. He wants to be fully aware to take on the full wrath of God. The kingdom crucifies him. The movie Braveheart is about the Scottish rebel, William Wallace. William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson, leads a rebellion against the English occupation. They wage a guerrilla war against uh, the English, and it's pretty successful. And then one day, uh, one day, uh, Braveheart is captured by the English. He's betrayed by one of his own, and he's about to be tortured and executed. And he has an opportunity before being executed to drink some painkiller. And of course he spits it out because he doesn't want to betray his Scotland. And so they take, they take Braveheart out, William Wallace, and they begin to torture him. And they say, just say the words mercy and we'll make it a, a quick death. Just say mercy. But, but uh, William Wallace does not want to betray his Scotland and so instead he shouts freedom. Christ Jesus had his eyes set on our freedom at the cross. He wasn't willing to take the painkilling agent because he had to pay the consequences of our sin. And so the soldiers take him and they crucify him. They nail his hands and and his feet. They, They nail him to a tree and they place him in the ground between two robbers. His enemies gloat over him. They mock him. But Christ Jesus, the king of kings, is determined to win our freedom. The kingdom crucifies him. The religious reject him. The disciples deny him. The Jews and Gentiles judge him. The kingdom crucifies him. And if that isn't bad enough, someone Jesus has known and loved for all eternity turns his back on him. The father... Forsakes him. The Father forsakes Jesus. Verse 33 says, Darkness covered the whole land from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. That's from noon to 3 p.m. And if we look at darkness in the New Testament, it stands for sin and the judgment of God. Jesus is bearing both of those. He is bearing the full weight of sin, all that darkness, and he's bearing the full judgment of God. He's bearing our darkness so that we can shine with his light before a holy God. And his father turns his back on him because Jesus is guilty and the father is holy and Jesus cries with a loud voice, "Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" The Father has turned his back on Jesus because of our sins, because of what we have done wrong. And it's not that Jesus loses his divinity; it's a break in relationship. And maybe this doesn't seem so bad to you, but they've had an eternal and infinite and perfect relationship for all of time. Jesus is in his weakest moment. He's dying on the cross, and all he needs is his Father's love, and his Father is not there to give him that love. The Father forsook him. The Father and Son's relationship can be likened to that of a parent and a child. If you're a parent, you know that your love for your child grows and grows as your relationship grows. As you two begin to interact and know each other and and share with each other, you love each other more and more. Your child uh, shares things about themselves and you share things about yourself with your child. And it, it progresses from childhood through the teenage years through adulthood. Now imagine that that relationship is infinite. It's perfect, it's eternal, there's no teenage angst. It goes on forever and ever. This is the type of relationship that the father and son had. It was deeper and and more pure than anything else ever imagined. And it's broken. And this break in relationship causes Jesus extreme mental and emotional pain. He's never had this happen before. And Jesus utters a loud cry and breathes his last breath. Jesus literally dies of a broken heart. Christ Jesus was rejected by his own father. But why did he have to be rejected by the whole world, even by his father? The religious rejected him. The disciples denied him. The Jews and the Gentiles judged him. The kingdom crucified him. The father forsook him. And it all leads to this point, the sinner sees him the sinner sees Jesus verse 38 says and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom the curtain inside of the temple was about 80 feet tall probably several inches thick and the only one who could tear it from top to bottom in a moment is God and he tells tears the, the veil and that veil it had separated the holy place the most holy of holies Uh, from the just holy place. And it said that in the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God was for, for much of Jewish history. And so for that veil to be torn means that we can now enter into that holy place and it's Christ Jesus who enters into the most Holy of Holies on our behalf. Once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice only once a year for the sins of the people. And finally, Jesus enters into the Holy of Holies and makes the perfect sacrifice himself so that no other sacrifices must be made. And he pays that that final punishment so that we too can enter with Jesus into the holy presence of God, so that we can know God and God can know us. God has torn the veil. Christ Jesus is our new high priest, and now the sinners can see him. And the sinner does see him. Verse 38 says, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The centurion is in charge of those 600 men that just brutalized Jesus. He's there at the foot of the cross to make sure that they get the job done right. He is the least deserving of grace. Nothing about his his station in life or who he is says he should ever confess Jesus to be the Son of God. But it is often the most undeserving of grace and the most unlikeliest of converts who are the first to confess Jesus to be God. The sinner sees him. Christ Jesus, the Redeemer, was rejected so that the rejected might be redeemed. The centurion is a Gentile just like Pilate, and so he's a rejected class by the Jews. They wouldn't have anything to do with Jesus, uh, with uh, the centurion. They didn't want anything to do with him. But Christ, Christ came to heal those that everyone else rejects. He came to forgive those everyone else forsakes and turns away. He came to welcome home and heal and redeem, to pay the cost for those that need it the most, that have been turned away. Christ Jesus, the Redeemer, was rejected so that the rejected might be redeemed. And uh, Centurion confesses that, that Jesus is the very Son of God. In so doing, he's changing allegiance from Caesar who claim to be God, to Jesus, who really is the Son of God. He's changing allegiance, and we can too. We also can change allegiance. We can confess that Jesus is the Son of God. We can confess of our sins and put our faith in Him. We can start anew. We can be welcomed home by the one that we rejected. Christ Jesus, the Redeemer, was rejected so that the rejected might be redeemed. Jesus came to pay the ransom for our sins to redeem us. He was the king of kings, and he came to save us, but we didn't treat him as he deserved. No, the religious rejected him. The disciples denied him. The Jews and the Gentiles, they judged him. The kingdom crucified him, and the Father forsook him. And he died alone, forsaken on a cross. But he died so that the sinner might see him. Do you see him? Do you see the Savior? Christ Jesus came to heal us from our sins, and he offers this freely. He wants to forgive the forsaken. He wants to embrace the abandoned. He wants to deliver the denied. He wants to restore the rejected. He wants to welcome home those who have no home. He came so that you and I can have a new life in him. Christ Jesus, the Redeemer, was rejected so that the rejected might be redeemed. Let's pray, and then we'll sing a song. Father God, we confess that we have rejected you in so many ways. And yet, you have forgiven us, who put our faith in you, of all those sins. You've forgiven us over and over again, so that you might welcome us home. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness, for your healing. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.